This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Before I, I, I bring the word that I prepared for today, uh, I just want to, I think it's so easy that we get used to church and we come to church on a Sunday morning to the church gathering and we and we sing a couple of songs and then we, two minutes left, that can't be. Okay, thank God. Okay. Um, and we come into the house of God and we, and we greet one another and we sing a couple of songs and then we, we wait for the word and, and then we drink coffee and we go home and we, and sometimes in the busyness of that, in the routine of that, we, we sometimes lose this reality and this truth that we are gathering in the very presence of God. And that church is not a lecture hall. Church is a place where the people of God, actually the church is the people of God, but this building is the gathering, is a gathering, a gathering place where the people of God, the called out ones of God, gather together, but not just together with ourselves, but we also gather together um, with the church of the firstborn, which is registered in heaven. And we need to always keep that in mind when we worship, because it transforms the way that we worship. If we keep in mind that we have now come, we will not one day come to Mount Zion. The Word of God says in Hebrews 12, it says, we have now come to Mount Zion. We have now come to the heavenly Jerusalem. We have now come to myriads of angels gathered in festal gathering. We have now come to, uh, to, to saints that have gone before us. We have now come to God, the judge of all. We have now come before Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant. There is this, there is this thing about the immediacy of God that we need to recapture. And as we recapture the immediacy of God, that He is Emmanuel, He is God with us. And in this dispensation by the power of this and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but He is with us. And if He is with us, then by definition we are with Him. And we are not always aware that we are with Him. And sometimes we we plod on through the songs and sometimes we even get a little bit agitated. Why are they keep on singing the same song and the same words over and over and over again? And we sometimes forget that in the presence of God there is day and night, night and day, forever and ever, they, these heavenly, these living creatures, they fall down, they cover their eyes, then they look upon Him, they fall down, and they worship Him forever. There's, it looks like this perpetual process and repetitive process of heavenly elders, the 24 elders, that when they see, when they hear the living creatures say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when they hear that, they cast their crowns before Him and they worship Him. And then it, and then they do it again. So at some stage, they must be crowned again. And then the living creatures see God again. And they worship and they cast their crowns. And this goes on forever and ever. And we might think, that's kind of boring, isn't it? But we can only think it's boring if we, if we haven't seen God. Because there's something about the eternities of God that every time that we sense, that we see God, there is something new and something fresh that we haven't seen before. Or something that we've seen before just explodes in revelation into deeper depths 
of who God is. And in that sense, it can never be boring to worship. It can never be boring to read your Bible because when you read your Bible and you're not just sitting in your study or just trying to keep awake in your bed while you're reading the verses, but you're thinking, while I'm reading this, I'm in the presence of the living God. I'm in the presence of angels. I'm the pre- I'm in the very presence. It is the Holy Spirit that brings me into that presence and the reality of who God is and not a religious thought. And I want to encourage us all that in the busyness of life and sometimes how we are geared and how God made our brains to work and how we assimilate information, that we must sometimes just pause and sell our And just come back to this revelation that right now, right here, we're in the presence of God. We're in the presence of God. And if we are in the presence of God, then there is something that God wants to reveal to us. There is something that God wants to speak to our hearts. And through this morning, I'm I'm trusting that the Lord will do that. And God will say different things to different people. But I want to encourage you And I want to pray. I want to pray, God, that you'll grant to each one of us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Father, I pray that this will not just be dead words. I pray, God, that even as we explore the meanings of words, I pray, God, that this will not be a language lesson. But I pray, God, that you'll grant to us as the words go out, as I speak words, that you will take those words and the words out of your word. And yet you will speak words of spirit and life, God. Holy Spirit, that you would be the teacher and that you would grant to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That you would come and flood the eyes of our understanding, God, with light that we might see the hope of your calling. I pray, Lord, this morning that you'll also cause us to see the incredible richness of the inheritance that you have deposited in us, the saints, your beloved people. And I pray, God, that we will come to know the power that works in us and for us, for those who believe. The very same power that you exerted when you rose Christ from the dead. You exalted him above every power, every principality, and gave him to be the head of your church. I pray, God, that we will come to know that transforming power this morning through your word. And I pray, God, that in some way, in shape, and some form, that we will just be conformed a little bit more this morning into the very image and the likeness of the Son, Jesus Christ. That is our desire. That is our prayer. That is my prayer, God. That somehow through these words, that you will... Speak to hearts. And hearts will receive it with meekness. Mix it with faith. And it will profit us much, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, okay, uh, big topic. Uh, sonship. I, I've, I've heard, I've uh, spoken to a couple of the leaders and uh, always wanted to make sure that I uh, obviously hear from God, but also want to be come alongside what God is already speaking to the church, and uh, maybe try and uh, 
bring a little bit more about that. And apparently there's a bit said about sonship and identity, which I think it's definitely something not just for Shofar Church, but if you if you just listen a little bit about what's going on in the church worldwide and you and you've just listened a little bit to worship music which captures a little bit what God is doing in the earth at the moment, uh, you would have recognized that there's something about you're a good, good father and uh, the identity as sons and uh, no longer slaves of fear, we are sons of God. And, and uh, that's certainly been something that has been sort of moving through the church at the moment. And uh, I do think whenever God starts revealing, it's important that we align ourselves with what God is doing and not just choose our favorite topics and and and, and preach our our sermons that we that we love but we need to come into line what the holy spirit is revealing and then search the scripture and search from scripture to come to an understanding of what god wants to say to his church because in and amongst what god wants to say to his church i want to say to you uh, you might know a lot and i might know a little but there's always more in god Amen. So you're going to hear some stuff that you've most probably heard before. And uh, I'm trusting that that will just cement that further into your understanding what God says about sonship. Um, so we are going to look, obviously, when we look at sonship, we've got to look at what the Word says about it. And then we'll find that in the Bible, in the English Bible, they talk about babies, they talk about children, they talk about sons. In the Afrikaans Bible, it's even more limited. They just talk about kinners. And then when you go to the original text, you see that it's not all the same words. And there are different words that the Bible uses to describe children, what it means to be a son, what, uh, what does it mean to be a child of God. And we need to understand those words, and, but it's also important that we don't get stuck on the words. Because it will be impossible for me to go through all the verses that has to do with sonship and children, what it means to be children of God. So we've got to look at what the word meant, what words they meant, used in the original text. But then we also need to understand that there's a certain context in which it was written. This is just a preamble to maybe how you can can do some Bible studying. And we also got to look at what does a certain word mean in a specific context. So, say for instance, I would say the guy that's in a uh, in a sanatorium, we say that he is a crazy person. He has got mental problems. But then I can also say, you know, last night we went to we went to a fellowship, we went to a party, and it was crazy. And you would understand that I didn't mean that everybody was mentally disabled at the party, right? You would just you would understand that it was, I actually mean that it was out of the ordinary, it was better than normal, it was even in some weird way enjoyable. So we understand that in normal language, a different word, you've got to listen in, in what context it is to understand what it, what it means. So if you, would, if you would hear the word child, immediately some of you will think, Okay, that's my baby. Some of you will think, oh, that's my teenage son or daughter. Some of you that are older might and have children that are already married would also say, yes, he is my child. So it's the same word, 
but it has different meanings and there's a difference in understanding. Okay, so and I think it's important when it comes to sonship that we that we also understand this, that when the Bible speaks about children and sons, and, and we're going to read a fair amount of scripture this morning, um, that we need to understand that there is a text, and it, the word does mean something. But we must not get stuck in only what the word means. We must also look at the context in what it is said. And I want to encourage you that the Bible is not difficult. The Bible was not meant ever to be difficult. God did not inspire the writers of the Bible to think, to say, okay, let's try and write something to them that as they read it, they become severely confused and don't know what's going on and really need someone else to interpret it for them. We need to understand that the Bible was written, firstly and foremostly, it was written so that people could read it and people could understand at least the basic gist of it. Now, I also understand that the more you study Scripture, the more you know that there's depth to Scripture that we haven't fathomed yet, and there are revelation in Scripture that has not been revealed yet. And we can, I mean, there's more in the Bible. This book cannot be finished. Any other textbook you can learn, you can... You can learn from it and you can teach it and you can more or less get to the bottom of your subject matter. But this book, which isn't that thick compared to other books, is almost inexhaustible in its understanding. So there is something profoundly simple and complex in the Bible all at the same time. And some of you are already confused now. Okay. Okay, so we've got a... And one of the one of the ways that we understand the simplicity of Scripture is that you just got to read a little bit more than a verse, because we sometimes we have our favorite verses, and then we and then we read our favorite verse, and we and we make our own assumptions based on our favorite verse, and we and we try to twist and shape our favorite verse so we understand it, and we and then we read commentaries by fifteen thousand other people that have different views on that same verse. I want to encourage you, read the Bible and read large portions of it at a time. It is amazing if you would read some of the letters of Paul, um, some of the letters we struggle with, even a letter like Romans, which is so deep and dense in theology and a literary masterpiece. I want to say to you, if you realize this was Paul writing to people and he was writing a letter. He was not thinking... I'm writing a theological treatise. I'm writing things that Martin Lloyd-Jones will preach on for 14 years. That's what he did. He preached on Romans, on the book of Romans for about 14 years. Um, He wasn't thinking that. He wasn't thinking, I'm going to write something and a lot of people are going to write commentaries that are 10 times thicker than what I'm writing now. He was simply writing a letter to people. He wasn't, he wasn't writing it to theologians. He was writing it to people like you and me. He was writing it to them. And so I want to encourage you, when you read scripture and you don't understand, read larger portions of it. And it's amazing. You'll, you'll, you'll find out more or less what the, what the, the, what the writer means. And then we also, 
I'm taking a long time because I don't know what you know and I don't know. So I'm just going to say what you know already and hope you haven't heard it. Okay. We must also understand that there are certain truths in the Bible that is positional. And it's always true and it always has been true and it will forever be true. And that those truths, we must understand that in Christ Jesus... In, if you are in Christ Jesus, then you have already been saved. But there's also a measure to which you are being saved. And there's also a, a measure to, to him who endures to the end will be saved. So there's a measure of a positional truth through the, through the atoned work, the atoning work of Jesus at the cross. There has been forgiveness for sin for everybody. For all of mankind, past, present, and future. That is a positional truth, right? There is nothing more that needs to be done for the forgiveness of sin. But that does not mean that you are automatically forgiven when you sin. It means that there has been made provision that you can come and you can have access by repentance, confession, repentance, and forgiveness that you can that which has been attained for you and which is eternally true, you now make your own and you come to the experience of it. And we need to understand that when sometimes when the writers write, they speak about positional truth that is always true, and sometimes but they sometimes they write about things that you have to you make you have to make your own by faith. It's like we don't need any more grace. There is nothing more there is nothing more that Jesus needs to do to make available the grace that there is in his life and his death, his resurrection, his ascension. There is nothing more that Jesus needs to do for that grace to be made available. But we need to come just because the grace, when we receive Jesus, we receive the fullness of his grace, but there's also a measure that we need to approach the throne of grace to make that which is positionally true, to make that our own. Okay, do you, un- do you understand that? So we need to understand that there are certain things that are positionally true, and but it also needs to be accessed by us to have the experience of that. Okay. Hopefully we can go now. Okay. Now, when they, in the New Testament, when they write the word child, babe, children, sons, they use basically four or five words, and some of them are very clear. Uh, the first one is nepios or brephos, and that physically means a baby. If you would go, if you want a scripture for that, you can go to... Let me get the scripture here. 1 Peter 2 verse 2. Like newborn infants, he uses the word brephos, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So there he addresses the believers and he calls them infants. And it's not good or bad, it's just what it is. You know, he, he says, and in, in this context, when Peter writes, he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, if you go a little bit further, and you go to 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, now Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, 
as infants in Christ, Nepios or Brephos, and there is not complimenting them. It's not, he is not telling them, it's great that you are babies, that you're longing for spiritual milk. Here he's actually saying, guys, I, I'm addressing you as infants, but I can't really, I actually want to address you as more advanced, as more mature, as more grown up, but it seems that you are so in the flesh that I, I can't speak to you in adult language. I've got to dumb down. I've got to make sure that you understand. He also writes, when he writes to the, to the Hebrews, I believe that, well, make it the writer to the Hebrews, then we don't have to have a conversation on, on whether Paul wrote Hebrews. Let's make it the writer of Hebrews. He said that by this time you should be teaching others. But now we, we've got to teach you the, the elementary stuff again. And he, he also says that, that spiritual food or spiritual meat are for the mature, but for those that are spiritual babes, they still need the milk. So we've got to read the context to see whether he's actually commending them or whether he's exhorting and sometimes even correcting them. So we've got to read the... But here it's clear that from this language he's speaking, he's speaking about infants, he's talking about spiritual babes, um, and then there's the next word that he also used is pai. Pais or paidon, which is a little bit more than a baby, but not yet an adult. Then he also, a very common word is the word technon or techna, which is a generic term for children. It could be a child that is grown up. It could be a child that is not grown up. In different contexts, it means different things. But that is the most common word when you would read the word children and in, sometimes even son in the Bible and daughters. That would be technon or techna. And all these three, nepios or brephos, which is babies, pi or pidon or derivatives from it, and technon or techna, are all words that describe a sort of a progression. From nepios, brephos, babies, to pi or pidon, which is a little bit, to technon, which can be children of a variety of maturity level. So it describes a process of growth. Just like us humans. I mean, you, you, you can get very technical about this and you can think about what, but just think normally, you know, baby is born, what do you feed the baby? Milk. Okay, that's great. Babies have to have milk. They scream for milk. They want milk. They love milk. But if you keep on feeding your baby milk for a long time, and he's like seven, he doesn't eat solid foods, he's just drinking milk, you know, there's going to be problems. You would not think that's normal, right? You would think that's abnormal. You would take the kid to a doctor, maybe there's something wrong, something wrong with the digestive system. So as a child progresses, the diet changes. As a child progresses... You expect different things on a child. You know, the baby, uh, the baby books at, at a certain stage, your child's got to be able to do this. And then they've got to be, at a certain age, they've got to be able to do this. And if there's not that growth, you get worried. But it, it's sometimes amazing in church that some people get born and they stay babies. And we think it's normal. It's not normal. It's, it's abnormal in, natu- in natural life and it should be abnormal in spiritual life that people would continuously only want the milk of the word. And Paul actually said that, that the solid food is actually for those who exercise their spiritual senses. 
and it calls the people that only want milk, they are unskilled in the word of righteousness. So, and then there's a final word that I want to get to. It's the word huyos. It's the word huyos and that means son. Now, in Romans 8.29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn born among many brethren. I thank God for Jesus, that he saved me, that I am not, that I will not perish, but that I will have eternal life. But there is more to the death, the life, the death of Jesus and the purpose of God in the earth than you escaping hell. There's more. There is, a, there is a purpose, and it says that there is a predestination for every single one of us who are in Christ, that we have been predestined to be conformed, to be made like Jesus. That is our predestination. Our predestination is not simply living life here as a Christian and then getting to heaven and then things are going to start. No, here is a process called sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit that we who have been saved, who have been born again, babies, would progress through sanctification and through a process of discipleship that we would be day by day renewed in the spirit of our mind to think like Jesus, to act like Jesus, and to become like Jesus. And whenever the Bible speaks about Jesus and calls him the Son, it's always this word, Huyos. It's only once technon where Mary referred to Jesus as my son, meaning that he is my, he is my offspring. The first three words, Nipios, Pai, and Technon, all has to do with offspring, where you come from. We are children of God. That of God is the word, Greek word ek, it means out of. So it, 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 it tells people and it tells us where, where do we come from? Where do we originate from? So if you are born again, it says now you are not born of the flesh. You are now born of the spirit. You are born of God and you are now a brephos, a child of God, a technon. You are, that is your offspring. But this word huios is always used in the context of obedience and doing the will of the Father. And this is what we have been predestined to be conformed to. To be like Jesus. In other words, to become hoios. And we're going to read from Romans 8. We're going to read a fair bit out of Romans 8. Until we come to that part where the all of creation is longing with an eager expectation for the manifestation or the revealing of the sons or the hoios, not the technon, not the brephos, not the pai or the paidon, but the huyos, the mature sons of God. The ones that keep themselves busy with doing the will of the Father. Now it's important, I want to reiterate that it's important that we know that God loves us. It's very important. It's very important that we know where we come from. So it's important that we understand that we were born of the Spirit. We are born of God. We are God's people. We are God's children. He loves us more than we can ever imagine. We don't have to do stuff to to perform. We don't have to stuff to earn it. 
And in that sense, hearing about the love of the Father is hugely important. Understanding our identity, that we live from identity, we do not live to acquire identity, it's very important. But I sometimes get a little bit concerned when we overemphasize anything. When we overemphasize anything, even if the anything is a great thing, we will bring a distortion. A couple of years back, in, well, there was a guy called William Branham. I don't know if you have heard of William Branham. He was a healing evangelist. Amazing things that he's been in our country. And uh, he always had Ern Baxter. Ern Baxter was a teacher. William Branham was an evangelist that the Lord used a lot of prophetic you know, words of knowledge and he would, people would get healed. And then he, Ern Baxter became sick and he went away and when he came back, uh, he would usually teach from the word of God and William Branham said, no, I'm going to teach. You don't have to teach anymore. He stepped out of his lane and, uh, there, some people say that he started the Jesus only doctrine, but some people say it wasn't him, it was his followers. But anyway, the Branhamites, as they were known, they made it, started making a distinction between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And because they couldn't re- reconcile a God that was loving with a God that would kill people in the Old Testament. So they came and they didn't believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They simply said the, the, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, so it's still Jesus. And so they came up with a doctrine called the Jesus-only doctrine. Now, whoever you think if you put emphasis on Jesus, that's good. I think it's good. But if you put an overemphasis on Jesus at the expense of the Father, at the expense of the Holy Spirit, you are starting to scratch with the Trinity, which is incredibly important. So I want to say to you that even if you put an overemphasis on a good thing, it can bring a distortion. So I think it is important that people understand their identity in Christ. I think it's hugely important that we understand the, the great unconditional love of God for us and that his love is greater than we can ever imagine. And I found that 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 people that only immerse themselves in this, they major on what are my rights and what are my privileges and what is the benefits. And that's all they want to hear about. They just want to hear about You know, what are my rights as a son of God? What are my privileges as a son of God? What is the benefit? And it is important that we know that. But they hardly ever talk about the responsibility of sonship. So we love this fact that we have been adopted by God, but as soon, and then we we do stuff like, we do stuff like, you know, we don't have to do stuff. And then people try to prove that they are sons of God by doing nothing. Which is so unlike Jesus. You think that Jesus understood his identity? I think so. He was one with the Father. I think Jesus understood his position. He didn't step out of his position. He stayed in his lane. He understood what his purpose is. And what did he do? He did. He says, my food, my sustenance, is not to be with the Father, but to do the will of the Father. So, I'm not coming to bring any correction to the doctrine of the love of the Father or 
our identity as sons. But I just want to add something that as we grow up, as we grow up, we, we realize, as we, as we mature in Christ, as we become more like Jesus, and we understand why we are on the earth, why all of creation, all of creation somehow knows that if the sons of God, the Huyos, the mature sons of God, would rise up and be manifested, there's something that's going to happen in the earth that has to do not only with the redemption of man, but the redemption of creation. It says all of creation. It doesn't say all mankind. It says all of creation is, is waiting or groaning actually with an eager expectation for the revealing or the made known, the manifestation of the sons of God. The huios, those that are not only obsessed with their own desires, their own needs, their own thing, their own life, but they are obsessed with doing the will of the Father, knowing that they lose out nothing of the presence and the love of the Father while they're doing it. And I think that it's important that we that we understand that there is this progression, and it's fine to be it's fine like a baby, you know. It's fine to be immature sometime, but you got to grow up sometime too. And I wish I could say to you that time. I wish I could say to you that time will sort out everything. If you live long enough, you'll become mature. Would that be true? That would be wonderful. But it's not true. And especially not when it comes to growing as a, as a child of God. Becoming that who your son of God, that is, your whole life is about. What does the Father want me to do? And isn't that when, when he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit and when, when Jesus speaks about, in, in John, when he speaks about he is the vine, we are the branches, we, and, and what happens when we bear much fruit? Who's glorified? The Father is glorified. Whatever we do is nothing of that is for our own glory. The Son did not come. Jesus, when he was in his human form, he did nothing to glorify himself. In fact, whenever people wanted to glorify him. He says, I've come to glorify my father. He says, in fact, I don't even, I don't think much for myself. You know, I I just, I hear what the father is saying and then I do that. I, I see him doing stuff and then I engage with what my father is doing and when, and that is what I do. That is my food in, when at, at the Samaritan, at the well with the Samaritan woman. He said, it is my, it is my food. It is my sustenance to do, not just to know. You see, when we are immature, we, when we are very immature, a baby, a baby has no, he doesn't cry for knowledge. He doesn't cry for reading a book, but he cries for milk. You know, he just wants to survive. He just wants his stomach filled. He just wants his needs to be met. And if he's sick, he wants to be, he wants to feel better. And then later on, as we go on in life, we, we, we go after this quest for knowledge and we just want to know more and know more and know more. And then our parents know nothing. All of a sudden, you know, one, you know, you, uh, I realized when, when I was, when, when my children turned six and they went to school. I went from the one day knowing everything to just after the first school day of knowing nothing. And now the teachers knew everything and I knew nothing. And then 
that remained like that because then later on the teachers knew nothing and they knew everything when they were teenagers because they know stuff. And it was only as I'm getting older and as they're getting older, they now realize that, hey, maybe dad did know some stuff. And so it is so important that we, that we need to give ourselves to this process of maturing. And you know, we sing the song, I just want to, I just want to be where you are. I spoiled that song. I, I once sang the song. It was an old song by Don Moen. Whoever you're old enough to know Don Moen. None of you. Okay. He was like a hundred years ago. He was a guy that wrote Christian music and he, he, he sang the song. I just want to be where you are. Dwelling daily in your presence. And one day we were singing and I had a Freudian slip and I said, I just want to wee where you are. And since that day, I couldn't sing that song anymore. The song was spoiled forever. But there's, there's a lot of Christian songs about, I just want to be where you are and I want to be with you. And do you realize that you can be with Jesus and not change? The disciples were with Jesus three years. Heard every teaching. Jesus was a good teacher. I want to tell you, I think he was the best. He was also the best shepherd. So he really looked well after the emotional and all their needs. And Jesus was prophetically, you could see what was happening. And Jesus was the fivefold ministry, the all in one, the best ever. And they didn't understand him. On the Mount of Transfiguration, I mean, Jesus glows. Jesus is transfigured. A voice comes from heaven. Moses appears. Elijah appears. What does Peter do? Let's build tents. You might probably be sitting here, but that's not a bad idea. Why not build a tent? We like camping. We must stay here. So you can be in the very presence of God and have such an ungodly thought. It's, it's not, you won't. There's got to be a desire to be, not be with Jesus, but become like Jesus. You see, Immaturity says, I just want another experience. I just want to be, I just want a goosebump, another goosebump. Give me a goosebump on my goosebump. And you can have goosebumps forever and you can go to meetings and conference. I'm not against it. I love a good Holy Spirit goosebump as much as the next guy. I love it. I love to be slain in the Spirit. You know, I just love it when God does things, things like that. But what I enjoy more is what He shapes in my life. When I have that experience. So I'm not against experience. I'm just saying that if we have experience for experience sake, that is a sign of immaturity. That is a sign that we don't understand why God is doing this. We think God is into entertaining. But God is very purposeful. And God is very intent. Of, he's got one thing in mind when he has you. He wants to change you so that you will look like him. Because that will bring glory to Him. That will bring glory to the Father. That will show that the Holy Spirit is doing His job. And we must understand this and we're not going to get to Romans 8. Hey, let's read at least a little bit of Romans 8. I've got five minutes. Then I've got a Russian African service. That's going to be interesting. Please, please pray for me. I'm Afrikaans by birth. By natural birth and English by spiritual birth. 
that makes it confusing, especially when you want to preach. Romans chapter 8. Romans is just after Acts. I remember that from Kinder Kranz. Handelinge Romeine. Okay. Chapter 7, chapter 8. I'm going to read from verse 19. He says, for even the whole creation, all nature awaits expectantly and longs earnestly for the disclosing or the revelation of the Son of God. For the creation was subjected to frailty, not because of some intentional fault on its part, but by the will of him who was subjected it with hope. The creation itself will, will be set free from its bondage to decay and corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. We know that the whole creation has been moaning together in the pains of labor until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves too, who have enjoyed the first fruit of the Holy of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies and the adoption or a manifestation of God's sons. Now, I want to... The adoption of sons, and, and we understand adoption in a Western concept primarily as... I don't have a father, now somebody, a family takes me in, and then I'm no longer an orphan, I'm now a son, I'm a child. And that is for us primarily, that's what we understand. There is no other concept of understanding adoption. In, in the Roman time in which Paul was writing to the Romans, that Greek word adoption is huyothusia, which has to do with the placing of a son. It's a son that was already in the house. But when he came to a certain, he was an heir. So he had, he, he could, he had a right, he was a rightful heir, but he couldn't legally partake of his inheritance because he was immature. We still have it today. If, 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 if I die and my children are like two or three, they inherit everything that I have. And say, for instance, in another world, I would be a millionaire. They would have, they would have all that I have is theirs, but they would not get an ATM card to go and draw it. They would be put under guardianship, they would be put under guardianship until they were mature at a certain age, which they could partake of the inheritance. Which they can then make what the inheritance, what they want to do. They can do with it what they want to. And this is, when, when Paul speaks here, and you go and read Romans 8, you would read that he talks about children, that we are heirs. Yes, we are heirs, but we cannot partake. Now, the little child can, the guardian can say, okay, you need new clothes, or you need a cool new bicycle, and they can, you can get some of the advantages of that inheritance, but until you have been, uuthesia, until you have been placed as a son, in full control, in full ability, mental, emotionally, able to be responsible with inheritance. It was only then when you would be released in the fullness of your inheritance. And I believe it is the same with us in the spirit. You are heirs. We are heirs of everything that God has. But what would God entrust you with? What would God entrust you with? And what can God entrust you with? 
Are you willing, are you willing to be conformed so to the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, that you and the Father are like one? What he thinks, you think. What he does, you do. What he says, you say. The judgment or the decisions that you make are not your own. You are here with one thing in mind, and that is to do the will of the one who sent me. You don't use him as an add-on because you want to do other stuff and you really want him to help you with your stuff and then you'll help him with your with his stuff. No, you are here and the only thing that you are here for, you want to hear what your father is saying and you want to say that. You want to see what your father is doing and you want to do that. You want to live a life of such deep and intimate obedience to God out of a place of love, not a place of proving yourself, but you, that is what you live for. That is the very thing that gives your life meaning. The context of that scripture that we so often, those that are led by the Spirit, they are sons of God. Led by the Spirit. In other words, when you read in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Romans, when you read that, Paul is talking about a life in the flesh and the life in the Spirit. Life in the flesh, life in the Spirit. Just the thing, there's no such thing as a spiritual thing and a practical thing. We sometimes make the mistake that we divide things in spiritual and practical. In the Bible, there's only a distinction between spirit and flesh. So if, if God calls you to pack chairs... It's spiritual. If you're packing chairs because you want to impress the deacons and the elders, that's flesh. When you do administration work in an office and you do it because God had placed you there and you do it to the best of your ability, you do it as unto God, that is a spiritual act. We have sometimes divided people into spiritual and practical people. Oh, no, he's spiritual. No, he's more practical. His teachings is more spiritual. His teaching is more practical. Where do, where do you find that in the Bible? The Bible only makes a distinction between spirit and flesh. And God forbid that we're all, you know, he's more spiritual. He's more fleshly. <laughs> His teachings is flesh. <laughs> because the Bible says if we sow to the flesh, we'll from the same flesh reap destruction or corruption and even destruction. But if we sow to the spirit, we would from the spirit reap life. So that is the preamble of 7 of chapter 8 in Romans. And then it says, those that are led by the Spirit, what would the Spirit lead you to do? To obey the Father. Right? That's what the Spirit would do. The Spirit would let you do nothing unless the Father issues the command or the instruction. So those that are led by the Spirit, in other words, they don't follow the dictations of their own flesh, but they follow the voice of the Spirit. Those are the huios, not the technon, not the brephos, not the nepios. They are the huios. They are the sons of God that are preoccupied with obeying the Father. And what is that? What is obedience? Obedience is simply biblical, spiritual obedience is simply this, love expressed. Where do you get that? The Bible. Those that love me, do my commandments. If you love me, you will do my commandments. Therefore, obedience is love expressed. Biblical obedience, spiritual obedience, 
is love expressed. If you express, if you do anything for God, for any other reason than love, it is most probably not spiritual. It is most probably because you want to gain something from it. You want to prove something with it. You want to impress people with it. But if we are led by the Spirit, those that are led by the Spirit, they are sons of God. In other words, they're led by the Spirit. They obey the Spirit. The Spirit brings, reminds of what Jesus said. Jesus reminds us of what the Father said. We do the will of the Father. Who gets glorified? The Father gets glorified. Jesus gets glorified. The Father gets glorified. And we, I want to encourage us that we, that we, and here's the thing about, I'm going to close with this. Mature people are secure people. We once spoke to Artie Kendall. We were at the conference with him. It's always good if you're standing on a pulpit that you drop some great theologian's name and pretend that you're in the same room. Um, but we were, really were with Artie Kendall. And uh, so one of the guys asked Artie you know, the silver bullet question. Artie, what is your definition? How do you determine spiritual maturity? And Artie thought for a moment and then he says, the time gap between conviction and repentance. The time gap between conviction and repentance. He says, the more mature you become, the more you are aware of the work of the Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the more you mature you are, the quicker you respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The quicker you turn to God when the Holy Spirit convicts you. The quicker you obey when the Holy Spirit instructs. It's a sign of maturity. Immaturity, insecurity, blames others. Justifies your own position. This is why I'm not really living for Jesus. This is why I'm not as radical as Joe Soames. Immaturity makes excuses. Who of you, when you walked on in on two of your little children and... What happened here? He did it. No, she did it. We still, if you are still blaming everybody else for stuff that's happening in your life, it's most probably a sign of immaturity. Now, immaturity in the right, I, I'm not saying immaturity is always wrong because a baby should be immature. A baby that wants to talk to me about quantum physics, you know, I, I don't know. So, but if we perpetuate our immaturity, that's not a good thing. And maturity, which is for me, maturity is being the more I become like Jesus, the quicker I realize that there's a lot of stuff in me that's not like Jesus. So the more mature I am, the more I am able to see what's not good in my life, what's not like Christ. The more I know Christ, the more I know what's not Christ here the more I'm humbled to say to other people, I've been struggling for a while, come and help me. It's a sign of maturity. It's not a sign of weakness. Asking for help is a sign of self-awareness and humility. It's not a sign of weakness. So sometimes we think that the mature people are the people that got everything sorted out. No, they're just the people that's hiding a lot of stuff. Because nobody's got it all sorted out. Not one of us sitting here. Not me. I haven't got everything sorted out. 
But I do realize that God's got plan, a plan for my life. And the primary plan is to become like Jesus. And to that process, to become a huios, a mature son, that's all about obedience. That's all about loving obedience, expressing my love in obedience, expressing what I've received from God through obedience to please the Father. That's another day. <laughs> we, you can please God. I, I want to say to you, people say that you can't please God. I, I want to differ with that biblically. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Therefore, if we have faith, it means that we're pleasing to God. You can please God. You don't have to, but you can. You can. So, I want to encourage us all in That we make our goal maturity. We make our goal becoming like Jesus. We make our predestination the same as the predestination of the Father. To conform us to the Son, Jesus Christ. To make us a mature son. He's the firstborn amongst many brethren. It's the Father's heart to bring many sons to glory. To many sons to that kind of maturity. We can really trust us with great and greater things. I don't know where you are in this process of being conformed to the Son, Jesus Christ. But I do want to say to you, those that give themselves to that process become mature faster. So I suppose you could wait it out. You could wait it out. But you could give yourself to the process. And speed it up. God's God's not slow. God's just waiting for us. God's not slow. God's not halting the process. God's not slowing down the process. God will work as quick with you as you are willing to submit yourself to Him. As quick. Because He's intent is that you'll become like Jesus. Not one day in the big by and by in the sky, but here. Many sons to glory. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.